0: to the True Neighbor Podcast. My name is Tom Breyer. My guest today is Brandon Flood, the Secretary of Pardons for the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. In this episode, we discuss his inspiring turnaround from an inmate at a federal penitentiary to now serving as Secretary of the five-member Pennsylvania Board of Pardons. We also touch on his passion for criminal justice reform. Before diving into the impact that the COVID 19 pandemic has had and will have on the prison system here in Pennsylvania, Brandon and I recorded this conversation on Sunday, March 21st, just a few days before reports surfaced from New York about the spread of COVID 19 cases in prisons across the state. As of the time of this recording on Friday, March 27th, Rikers Island has 52 confirmed COVID-19 cases with beds less than three feet apart and cleaning materials in short supply. In fact, hand sanitizer was not even available in New York prisons until just recently. A jail is essentially a petri dish for the spread of the novel coronavirus. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio pledged recently to release more than 300 people from Micah's Island alone and this is in addition to the 75 inmates who were released last week. The New York Supreme Court just determined as well that 16 detainees, which comprises of a mix of defendants in pretrial detention, um, as well as other individuals who have been jailed for parole violations. Those individuals, the New York Supreme Court ruled, uh, must be released because their age and medical conditions made them particularly vulnerable to COVID-19. Pennsylvania as of the most recent report on March 25th, has not confirmed any positive cases of COVID-19 among the prison population. Nevertheless, Brandon forecasts with remarkable precision precisely what the dilemma will be in this situation. On one hand, do you release prisoners into a world where they can't find a job or housing? Or do you keep them incarcerated? where COVID-19 can spread like wildfire. Without further ado, I give you our next true neighbor, Brandon Flood. All right, I'm here with Brandon Flood. Brandon, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: I was uh, was looking back through my emails uh, to see when it was we first had lunch at at Strawberry Square just about a year ago. It's hard to believe Um, who would have thought that fast forward a year we'd be uh, in this position, huh?
1: Yeah, definitely uh, didn't expect this, but um, I think our governor's been handling it as best as he could. And if nothing else, this will be uh, uh, many lessons to be gleaned from this experience.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, we see the contrast between what's happening with leadership nationally and then having Governor Wolf and Lieutenant Governor Fetterman is uh, reassuring to know that uh, they're in, Uh, they're steering the ship right now for sure. Um, But uh, I'm excited to chat with you. There's a um, number of things I wanted to ask you about, but before we start, um, I'm sure a lot of people listening are familiar with your background, but could you tell us a little bit more about you before you assumed your role as Secretary of Pardons and and just give us your, your story because it's one I think a lot of people would like to hear.
1: You know, absolutely. And I think a lot of people, um, I'm still somewhat of a mystery <laughs> to a lot of people. Uh, that's what I said. I say to a lot of people, depending upon which media outlet that people heard my story or, or learned of my appointment, uh, and one breath, it may seem like I just, it's, it, it, um, uh, uh, it may seem like I just got out of jail and they appointed me to this position, <laughs> you know, uh, Um, And then there's some some media outlets to go a little bit. They dig a little bit deeper into what preceded this appointment. Um, But yeah, born and raised here in Harrisburg. um, Spent most of my time in the Uptown area. Um, For those that aren't familiar with me, uh, uh, previously served uh, nine years collectively in the Department of Corrections and, and spent about a year and some change, uh, even in our juvenile justice center and and, and our moderate to to long term placement facilities. So, um, I, I think the 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 quickest way, or the the most uh, the easiest way, for me to characterize my my upbringing in the early part of my life, it certainly was marked by uh, criminality. Uh, I was perfectly resigned to. To living a life of crime, and and thought that that would be my my way to uh, achieving the American dream. Um, you know, what's somewhat of an anomaly about my upbringing is I was, especially when we talk about black and brown males in the inner city, I was raised by a single father, military man, college educated, um, and he was raising three of us. So, you no. Know, at that time, as a child I, and as a young man, I didn't appreciate the sacrifices that he made uh, as a as a single father. Um, and you know, he 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 was the person who was still uh, work ethic and and into me and uh, the value of a, of a hard day's work and uh, the fleshing out the concept of a, a reward system. But you know, I didn't buy into it at that time. Uh, but I think once. Eventually, obviously, I've righted the ship at some point. Uh, I think when I decided to right the ship, I had all of those fundamental tools at my disposal that he had provided for me, but that I, I just, you know, left dormant. So that, that kind of summarizes me in a nutshell, at least the what preceded uh, me even entering state government and, and politics. And
0: so um, you come, you know, you kind of reacclimate yourself uh, into... Uh... Into our area after you leave prison, what's what's your goal when you when you come back? Is it to go into public service? Is to are you trying to st- still kind of explore what your what your role is, or did you know exactly what you think you wanted to do?
1: Uh, I just know I wanted to be taken serious. I knew I knew that I wanted to be taken serious, and I wanted to work in uh, the sphere of to your point, public services, some some shape, way, or form. Specifically, the the game plan when I was released was at the time. Linda uh Linda Thompson still served as Harrisburg's mayor and, and and held the distinction and still holds the distinction of serving as its first African American uh mayor and and, mayor, uh, and female mayor. So I thought my inroad would be actually uh through her administration but as you all know um you know upon being released she had her own turmoil and Um, Trials and tribulations to overcome, so it it didn't work out quite that way, but uh, luckily for me uh, I had some friends that still worked in state government in particular, the House of Representatives, and you know, um, and that's where the importance of sharing what one's intentions, or dreams, or aspirations are, because you never know who you may share that information with. They may have an opportunity to help you uh, to, to to work towards that. So, in doing that, I ended up encountering a, a friend of mine who worked for the House of Representatives, who, who encouraged me to, uh, to to seek an internship, and and I did, and 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 uh, that was my that was my in into state government.
0: So fast forward a few years, now you're Secretary of Pardons, which uh, is an appointed position, is that right?
1: Correct. So, so
0: How long have you been in that the position? Lieutenant
1: Governor. Uh, I've, I've been in there, uh, what is were we are, March? April 1st will be my anniversary date, so a little under a year now. It seems like it's been like three or four years, but, <laughs> but a little past, under past a year. past month now.
0: feels like that, too. <laughs> right, exactly. And so tell us just a little bit, what are your primary responsibilities as secretary of pardons? What does your your daily schedule look like? What are are you looking at on a day-to-day basis in terms of uh, your role in that position?
1: Right, sure. So uh, my specific uh, job description is to, to oversee uh, the the agency, the board of partners, which administers what's known as executive clemency in Pennsylvania. So anyone who's been convicted of a crime in Pennsylvania and that was disposed of in either the state court or on the magisterial district judge level, uh, uh, they come to our board for relief, either in the form of a pardon, which relieves them of the conviction altogether, as it's as if the conviction never happened, or uh, they seek relief in the form of commutation, which is the modification or reduction <clears throat> or reduction of one sentence. So think of someone who's condemned to death row or life, who wants relief in the form of per- uh, life on parole or uh, can... Uh, or, or modified from death row to life uh, without parole or someone who's been as i like to say uh, erroneously sentenced where the punishment doesn't fit the crime so my job is to oversee that agency so the intake the processing of all the applications the scheduling of the hearings uh, preparing the board members to review applications uh, and to administer those hearings uh, outreach Outreach and education is key too. Uh, Certainly Lieutenant Governor, part of my, one thing he tasked me with was making sure that more deserving Pennsylvanians uh, avail themselves of this process. Um, And then more importantly, to drive his policy. The Lieutenant Governor, he charged me with the task of making this, of essentially transforming the executive clemency process in Pennsylvania. So to make it more efficient, more accessible, and, and more impactful. So that's my job in a nutshell.
0: I was. Um, I want to talk about how COVID has impacted your position, but um, it wasn't too long ago. I think it was December, where uh, Lieutenant Governor Fetterman wrote an op-ed in the Philadelphia Inquirer saying that he was really disappointed with the number of uh, pardons granted. Um, I think there were 40 applications um, before the the Board of Pardons, and. Uh, is that right? Talk a little bit so, about that process. So yeah,
1: December December was kind of a um, a doomsday for us, uh, so to speak. I mean, because you got to think from January first from January 2019 until until December of 2019. Um, you know, we we've we've we we've managed to transform this process. Um, in a way that had not been seen since the inception of the Board of Partners. And we've been around since 1872. So there was a lot of optimism for a lot of the drastic changes that we made in that short period of time that when we had one hiccup, which December represented. And to your point, uh, we had about 18. There were 18 commutation cases. Uh, I would say, conservatively speaking, and this is just my perspective at least eight of those 18 were solid ones were ones that we thought there was a general consensus that uh would, would be recommended to the governor and that were were meritorious cases and uh and I'm I'm saying conservatively speaking eight of the eighteen and of those but ultimately what happened is only two of those eighteen were approved and for the lieutenant governor, uh commutations uh i is, is is an area that is near and dear to his heart. So he, he felt like uh that the board failed um, to live up to its mission. and and frankly, you know we we looked at that as an opportunity to question, do we are, do we know what our do do all of our board members understand what our mission is? So I think while it certainly was negative in terms of outcomes, there weren't as many folks receiving commutation as the lieutenant governor would have liked. I think it, it provided a moment for us all. Myself and the board members to really rethink what our mission is uh, and to, 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 to operate in a more cohesive manner So uh, hopefully, you know, I, I think we, we, we all of our board members will learn from the failures of December uh, And and hopefully we will see better outcomes moving forward
0: So moving forward, I guess that's a good segue into what's happening right now uh, When was it that you first learned of of the the COVID pandemic. Was there like a moment in time where your office came together and kind of talked about this being, uh, you know, the gravity of this being far more drastic than you had first heard? What was the timeline like in terms of uh, your interaction with this virus?
1: Um, I mean, I think we, we we all didn't take it as serious as as we obviously do now. Um, I mean, there there were some some early signs that uh, that that this was bigger than than anticipated. Just some of the questions about that we received from the governor's office about our ability to, to telecommute and my office's ability to telecommute and uh, questions about our essential function. So um, you can tell that they were really trying, at least the governor's office was trying to assess um, who can still be able to meet those basic functions in in uh, in a remote setup if if necessary? So um, I think we, we didn't take it serious initially, but then obviously as as the governor uh, and, and and Secretary Levine. Uh, began to, to, to share more information. Um, you know, I think it benefited us is that we're not a huge agency. So, uh, you know, I literally can convene everybody in one meeting, uh, whether in person or over the phone. So uh, we we all we have a proactive group of folks in our office. So for us, we, we really didn't get dinged that bad, uh, with the exception of maybe the backlog will obviously increase now that you'll, even though we're not in the office physically i'm sure folks will still be submitting applications um so <clears throat> so outside of the backlog increasing uh i mean we, we really uh weren't uh, adversely impacted at least as of this moment
0: and so as of now is that the plan to continue reviewing applications just electronically and, and remotely
1: well i think what, what we're going to look and see after the governor's uh at least that that initial 14-day sequestration period is up to see whether if it's extended or if it's lifted uh so i think as we have a better sense of how long uh we'll we'll be forced to operate this way then we'll start thinking long and hard about whether we need to uh uh adjust our functions and and maybe start trying to hear (coughs) cases uh telephonically or or some other way in a remote manner
0: so this might be uh, a little bit beyond the purview of your office but it was recently reported in Philadelphia that crimes like theft, burglary, uh, stolen automobiles, certain economic crimes will no longer result, at least for the time being, in detention, and that police would also stop enforcing bench warrants to individuals who failed to show up to court. Um, is this a trend that you see continuing statewide? What I mean, I know you you are very active in terms of reforming the criminal justice system. How do you view the recent developments in that space uh, progressing over, over time if this um era that we're living is is to continue
1: uh yeah i mean i think it's it's good policy certainly i want to see that replicated here in uh the harrisburg area and, and stilton as well um and greater harrisburg area surrounding communities um i mean it's a matter of it's a matter of uh, resources right prudent use of resources so when we talk about some of these low-level offenses <clears throat> um yeah we we should you know at the you know police officers aren't immune from the coronavirus either so uh the more that we subject them um to to possible exposure you know um the you know we're not really uh it isn't helpful to 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 our efforts to to to, to flatten the curve, so to speak. So I think it makes sense from a public health standpoint, but even more broadly, and, and and to your point, although this isn't under my purview, certainly this is pre-entry, right? We talk about, we often talk about re-entry, we seldom talk about pre-entry, preventing folks from even entering the system or incurring criminal records. So I think uh, another thing that I think we should look at, uh, especially once this, this uh, pandemic subsides, is... Uh, broadening the scope of what we should be decriminalizing. Right now, we we speak we when we hear about decriminalization, we only speak singularly about marijuana or small possessions of marijuana. But there's other offenses uh, that I think that we maybe should look at uh, decriminalizing as well. That folks shouldn't even. Uh, penetrate the system to begin with or at least have some kind of diversionary uh mechanism in place so i think again uh, a lot of lessons to be gleaned from here even if 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 this uh sequestration period or quarantine was lifted tomorrow i think uh if nothing else this pandemic uh should force us to say hey how can we do things more efficiently uh moving forward. So uh, I definitely want to see that replicated locally.
0: I think you raise a great point. And that's kind of true across society as a whole. I mean, we see what happens with our healthcare system when we enter a pandemic. We see what happens when people don't have any retirement savings or they don't have any equity. You know, it's, I think 75% of Americans in this country can't even go paycheck to paycheck. Uh, And so the veneer gets stripped away in a crisis because um, all those shortcomings are exposed. And I don't think the criminal justice system is immune from that. Is there um, something, you know, if we were talking about decriminalization, uh, what would you prioritize in in that regard? Would it be the, the decriminalization? uh decriminalizing marijuana to start with
1: oh yeah absolutely i mean I I, I I and i would need to see that's something that i would consult with the pa sentencing commission on and, and other stakeholders to see uh you know the, what the data suggests how many folks are penetrating this system and i know specifically with marijuana i mean because we pulled the data um Early, well, late last year when we, we rolled out our, our expedited review program for marijuana convictions, uh, you know, there's over 60, just from 2010 to 2019, there were over 60,000 Pennsylvanians that were charged with small possession. So those are 60,000. Folks that potentially incurred misdemeanor convictions on their record uh, or may have been violated for probation or parole or otherwise uh, or have been incarcerated in their county prison. So uh, 60,000 folks are is a significant number. So I would definitely have to look at the numbers um, uh, and, and the types of crimes to see uh, how many folks are clogging our system up, particularly, like I said, for lo- those low-level misdemeanor offenses or nonviolent, non-sexual offenses.
0: Going back to COVID for a second, I saw recently—I um, forget exactly where—but there was a report of an inmate testing positive for the coronavirus. Uh, have those discussions been brought up at all in your office in terms of what prisons can do to help mitigate the spread of these uh, of, of the virus? I mean, it's—I'd imagine it's—it's uh, it's tougher in a confined environment to do social distancing. What are those conversations like if you if you're having them?
1: Right. Yeah, no, no. So we certainly got roped in to, to that discussion. I know the ACLU and a number of other social justice organizations, they had sent out a letter maybe three days ago uh, addressed to the governor and the lieutenant governor and Secretary Wetzel with the Department of Corrections um, making a push for uh, either releasing prisoners uh, that have are more susceptible to uh, the virus or uh, don't pose a threat, or folks that are under pre-trial, uh, who are who are held under uh, under a pre-trial basis, meaning they've yet to to go to trial for an offense. So some of those low-level offenses. Um, but you you raise a good point, and and I think a point that we need to to be considerate of. And you know, certainly someone with my background, uh, you know, <laughs> some folks may deem it controversial. I don't think it's controversial, but we don't know if. Prisons may actually prove to be, you know, given, I know they've taken some steps that Secretary Wetzel has to, you know, visits have been canceled, so they've certainly restricted the number of people that enter the prisons to just personnel, essential personnel. Our prisons in some cases prisons may be the best place for certain inmates you know think about this because uh, they've been asked they've asked us to to have hold special hearings for commutation cases to get folks out as i said that that either are uh, at an advanced age or susceptible more susceptible to, to the virus or just meritorious candidates for release and in my opinion Now, with this and and with the pandemic in full swing, is it really a good idea to release folks into this environment, you know, especially, you know, um, not only from a public safety standpoint, but from a, a workforce development standpoint? You know how many jobs are really available you know folks are shedding jobs right now or folks are on furlough uh right now so to have folks come in to be released into this kind of environment i don't know would be the the most ideal thing for us to do uh but i I qualify all this with saying i think it's a little too er it's a little early yet for us here in, in pennsylvania i think after that initial 14 day uh sequestration period expires, uh, I think then we, we we need to look, once we have a better sense of what this is going to look like moving forward, uh, then I think we all need to put our heads together, and I'm sure that we will, to make sure that uh, we can kind of uh, ensure that those that should be released are released, but they're being released uh, in a way that doesn't compromise, number one, public safety, but also public health.
0: Well, that's a great point. And I hadn't even thought about that is is you know uh it's hard enough as it is right to reacclimate yourself in society with a normal society right? Uh, but to do that then and not have recourse to a job or to um putting yourself back into you know standard living is another question altogether and so right. i think you know if what are your thoughts on the proposals recently for for a universal stipend i know um you know steve mnuchin the treasury secretary Andrew uh, Yang. This is,
1: you I won't say he was the brainchild of it, but certainly during his candidacy for uh, presidency, he he, exactly. he, he he at least lifted this subject up, uh, UBI up to the public consciousness. Uh, I think, yeah, certainly uh, any any help. You know any help would be welcomed even from someone like myself you know certainly um i like to think that i'm at least middle to to middle class here myself so i'm i'm certainly not rich you know but any any you know folks were griping about whether a thousand was too little or or if it should be increased or whether it should be a one-time uh stipend or should it be a recurring a monthly uh stipend so i think any any little thing helps to your point earlier you know at the the, the top of this conversation you talked about 75 percent of folks don't are living paycheck to paycheck so a lot of folks this like you said not even a year ago this wasn't on our radar so uh i'm sure folks were were a lot of folks were hit hard especially those that are who work in industries that are deemed at least right now non-essential uh and and if they don't have paid sick leave um, you know it, they're, they're they're hurting right now so uh, i think it, it would be welcomed um and something's better any relief is better than than, than none in my opinion you
0: know, the irony of this is i was just uh thinking about this yesterday how governor wolf released his updated list of uh life-sustaining and non-life-sustaining businesses the uh the life-sustaining ones are the lowest paid I mean, they right. they're service workers, you know, doctors and physicians. They're, uh, you know, uh, garbage men and garbage women. It's nurses. It's senior living uh, facility caretakers. Teach, uh, you know, uh, grocery workers. Right. Those are life sustaining jobs. Journalists, uh, police, firefighters, and right. And, yet, and, I, and I've seen you know,
1: in a, in, a, in, a, in some of those industries too, or, or those sectors where, you know, the question is should should, should these folks receive uh, has, hazard pay? So to speak, mm. you know, uh, they're right there on the front line, interfacing with potentially exposed individuals. Um, I, I've seen a number of folks. I know Jeffrey Brown from Shoprite out of Philadelphia. Uh, he's he made a pledge to pay his workers, you know, two dollars more an hour, mm. uh, given this crisis. I know there's been some other folks that have been following that trend. I believe the, at least the, the Fraternal Order of Police have. have I think Whites did that thing.
0: recently, actually, too, for their workers
1: right well, I see it so so yeah absolutely and and someone posted I forwarded it uh, maybe was it was yesterday or the day before um but oftentimes we don't you know they, these aren't the most glamorous positions you know me working right. at dollar tree as a as a as a clerk isn't the most glamorous position but right now it, it is a vital position and you know we we I couldn't fathom not being able to if 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 dollar general right now or dollar tree or any other stores uh convenience stores weren't deemed to be um Non-life sustaining, you know what what that would mean for folks. Is I certainly don't have, I have a little bit of food and rations and provisions uh, uh, stockpiled, but certainly not enough to to last me uh, in the long haul. So yeah, definitely, I think we have a we should if we don't already have a, a, a renewed sense of uh, admiration and respect for our, the folks that work in that service industry.
0: I couldn't agree more. Here's here's a question for you, and I've seen you post on social media about this on occasion uh where do you go for your information um you know because of the world we live in there's been a a pretty big uptick in misinformation (laughs) out there um i know it can be easy to take headlines as you know truth without digging deeply into what the facts are where do you have a a priority list in terms of where you go to get access to correct information
1: uh no i I just try to make sure i vet it first you know at the end of the day i'm not trying to be uh you know Horaldo here and be the first <laughs> one to break the story you know so at the end of the day uh you know i'll read it in its entirety and try to check primary and secondary and tertiary sources uh for the validity of uh any information that i'm consuming or that i potentially may share so yeah no i mean it really just comes down to vetting i, I think it, it, there's two sets of people right now um in this post-pandemic world that we live in there's folks that are looking to i won't say uh who the the folks that are um i would say um uh peddlers of truth and objective information and then there's some folks that are just looking to stir up trouble and really um uh and, and aren't vetting any sources if any they're Mm. more so they're engaging in 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 the sensationalism so you have um truth mongers and then you have like you said some some uh folks that are are sharing disinformation or uh, or misinformation so uh yeah i try to share information that is you know like i said that i vet and at the end of the day um is informative and, and less salacious so to speak
0: <laughs> absolutely yeah especially in a time like this where we all need to be operating on the same common nucleus of facts uh how has your r- routine on a day-to-day basis changed at all are you i mean i think uh, you know you and i talked before the show about how um you're pretty much working remotely full-time are there things that you're doing now at home that you uh that you've changed or that you weren't doing even just a week ago
1: uh i think for me rest rest uh, i mean you know uh of, of especially you know for me i've always i'm a restless person so for me staying in the house is is, is, is difficult enough uh but even more so uh following this 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 public health crisis so yeah i think I, i've taken advantage of the opportunity to rest because uh you know for a while i was um really kind of just uh running with my, like a chicken with with, with his head cut off especially traveling a lot throughout the Commonwealth trying to make myself accessible in um, in and, um, and while I, it's great you know to, to be able to uh, to en- engage my community engage the the, the Commonwealth community uh, self-care is, is is key and uh, and admittedly I was one that that really didn't uh Really buy into that self-care, didn't allow myself to, or provide t- an opportunity to 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 engage in self-care. So, if nothing else, this is giving me an opportunity to kind of rest, um, and and really go back. uh That way, you know, supposing whenever this, you know, we 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 revert back to a sense of normalcy. Uh, I I think I can hit the ground running and have even more energy before. So yeah, for the most part, uh, resting and, you know, there's some things, you know, as I said, you asked about my, my duties as secretary, part of that is driving our policy, our public policy. Mm -hmm. So there's tons of things that I can, I can further flesh out concepts of what I wanted to do policy wise for our board, uh, that. Like I said, when we do revert back to a normal normalcy, uh, I, I can kind of hit the ground with running, with instituting uh, some of those policy reforms that I've been long ruminating over.
0: Is there one in particular that comes to mind? Is, you know, if you could, when we get back to... Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: Well, The one thing I want to do is, um, so we talked about creating expedited uh, expedited reviews for certain offenders and or certain applicants, and, and we did that october 2019 with marijuana related crimes but i want to expand the number of offenses and uh, types of applicants that can qualify for expedited review so one of the things that i want to do is look at those that i deem or i like to classify as having a first time offenders or zero prior history score folks so there's there's some people like you know in, in my instance it took what maybe about four i needed about four chances to to get myself together and there's some people you know four chances four times being incarcerated and being sentenced before i find the light bulb came on hmm. and if some people that it only takes one time like and in some cases it would only take two hours in the bullpen downtown for them to say hey you know what I need to get my life together. So there's a lot of people I think that fall into that category that honestly did make a mistake. For them, this wasn't a, a, a lifestyle that they were looking to pursue, but they may have been hard up on their luck and decided to, 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 to do something that proved uh, uh, to prove to be uh pr- obviously criminal and, and, and result in and them being convicted. So I, I want to target that population. Uh, a lot of folks who weren't eligible for ARD, which is the Accelerated Rehabilitative Disposition Program. It's reserved for first time offenders. Because um, that, that program is usually dictated by the district attorneys on a county level. So they admit who they want into that program. And, and the program is quite expensive, too. It's between $1,100 and $3,300, depending upon which county you're in. So a lot of people who were first time offenders didn't get a chance to avail themselves of of ARD so I think we can capture that population and it makes it easier for us to schedule these hearings for me to prepare the boards because I'm only dealing with one conviction as opposed to someone that has maybe 12 convictions so it's easier mm-hmm. for analysis sheets it's easier for background and then it's easier for review so like I said my, my job is about efficiency so I think that's one I want to I want to start off with the first time offenders and those that uh, are classified as zero prior history having a zero prior history score
0: I think that could be one of the silver linings of this uh, of this new world we're living in is that I, hopefully it creates a deeper sense of compassion and right. empathy uh, and and you know brings humanity together I think you know just it's easy to look back to you know I know I, I've thought about this my state of mind just two weeks ago it was on you know people put, blinders on sometimes and are trying to get ahead on their own. And now we realize how much we need each other right. uh, and how much we've, this divisiveness that we've been living with is just unnecessary. And so, you know, I hope the silver lining from this uh, what looks like a, a long-term um, struggle will be a deeper sense of connection and, and empathy for people who are struggling. So I think if you come out with a policy like that and we get back to the state of normalcy, I think society hopefully will be ready for it.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think our board members, too. I think, uh, you know, part of the difficulty in my job is in, in this short amount of time, this roughly uh, a year, that we've introduced a lot of change to this process. So for some of our board members that have been around for a while, you know, it can be somewhat off-putting. Uh, to have this much change in sh- such a short period of time, you know, and mm-hmm. no one likes change. Uh, some people are better at adapting to, to the vicissitudes of life, but most people don't welcome change. So it, it's been somewhat of a struggle of you know, kind of spoon-feeding, introducing change, you know, especially some a lot of the transformative policies that where, you know, once the board sees that the world doesn't cave in, after a policy instituted, they'll become more inclined to say, hey, yeah, maybe we, you know, we, 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 we can innovate. And I think, uh, much like you said, that I think the silver lining is that we'll see that we need each other and that uh, we'll have more of that, we'll have more appreciation for that c- communal aspect of society. Uh, we'll also have a better sense of what we'll have a better sense of what we can do technologically mm. Um, so a lot of our processes in the past that required a lot of that in person uh, in-person appearance and interfacing Uh is no longer necessary. So I, I think it, it cuts both ways But like I said tons tons of lessons to to be gleaned from from this, ep- this pandemic.
0: Absolutely. So I uh as a, as a closing question obviously people are going to be home now for for longer periods of time is there any uh whether it's a documentary or a movie or a book or a recipe uh is there anything (laughs) that you would recommend to someone as saying hey you know if you have extra time on your hands this is something that was really impactful for me or, or that i uh would prioritize in terms of putting some time into into watching or doing
1: uh yeah, in terms of material, uh, read, whether reading material or, or documentaries, I, I would say just. I mean, I'm I'm an introspective person, so for me, I think health, health. Looking back at, at, at health, I mean, even for me, I think I'm about. I used to be a, a big runner, um, and I fell off somewhat, you know, and and obviously being that. The gyms are closed, and and it's being recommended that we we uh, that we practice social distance, distancing. Um, running is something that you know is an individual activity. Um, for me, it, I always deemed it to be a, a therapeutic activity. So I think really looking inward and health wise, uh, you have some people that are using this as an opportunity to say, "Hey, the, the gyms are closed, so I'm just going to eat." everything and <laughs> screw the diet whereas um i think mental health both mental health and physical health this is an opportunity where we 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 don't have those distract or at least the distractions in our lives and our lives has uh, diminished some so i don't have tons of people pulling at me every day so i really can be introspective um and yes, yeah, so I think use this as an opportunity to be to be introspective and, and whether and do things that you didn't have the opportunity to do with a busy schedule or a demanding schedule, um, especially with kids activities and extracurricular activities. It's really a lot of time on our hands. So whether that's a book that you initially started or you were thinking about starting to, to write, you have more time on your hands. So I would just say use it wisely. Um, don't just remain idle um so yeah for me that's that's what it's been so um, probably you'll see me probably running more on the riverfront <laughs> these days um, <laughs> but yeah that, that that would be my only recommendation
0: okay and uh so final question if if anybody has any questions about um you know changes to policy I saw recently that um you know uh, families of inmates will have I think it's what once a week of 15 minutes of video conferencing um, for for updates on things like that is do you have a particular resource that people should check out can they follow you on social media or anything like that yeah 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 definitely
1: Facebook, uh, Brandon Flood or Brandon J. Flood. There's two pages. Um, you know, anything that I, I think that is tangential to criminal justice reform or criminal just or the criminal justice system generally, I try to share. So I'm usually sharing things of what's happening, uh, both in the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections as well as Dauphin County Prison as well as our probation and parole systems. So yeah, Facebook, uh, Brandon Flood or Brandon J. Flood. Um, and then just go to the sites themselves. I mean, I think a lot of people, I like to say that I have a Ph.D. in search engines or Google, right? So <laughs> uh, a lot of stuff you can find right on folks' website um, and updates, particularly what's happening with uh, what what policies are in place for our incarcerated population. So, um, and you know, so, yeah, definitely there. I know come Monday, especially, I believe the county is still work most of the county workers are still working i want to get with uh well i plan to get with our district attorney fran to see about what we can do on the county level uh for our incarcerated population so you know as i said i'm i'm a i'm a restless person so i'm already thinking of who i'm reaching out to and and trying to broker some things so but yeah facebook for me is um and, you know, if you go to my Facebook and you go to my About page, all of my information is there. So I'm literally uh, very accessible from cell number to email. So it's awesome. the best way to get me.
0: Well, thanks, Brandon. We're uh, lucky to have you in that position. I oh, think. and one other thing. Uh, more importantly, more than ever. listen.
1: listening to the Tom Breyer podcast is where you can get great information. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <so>. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> well, uh, well, thanks for coming on, Brandon. We're lucky to, to have you. Being accessible in a time like this is obviously really important, and so it's good to know that. If people have questions, they can contact you. Uh, Hey, my, my
1: pleasure. Thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.